0: Christmas time, did my usual Christmas shopping. I didn't have a basket and I was carrying my cards and wrapping paper and stuff like that. And suddenly my left side just went again and I, and I dropped everything that I had in my hands. My speech was slurred. And unfortunately, because of my age possibly, people thought I was drunk and was stepping over me. I couldn't get myself up. I couldn't pick up my belongings. They felt like it was maybe a haemoplegic migraine. What we now know was that it was the AVM putting pressure on my blood supply and was stopping sort of the blood supply getting to my left-hand side to the point where it actually eventually ruptured. I had glasses because sometimes I was quite sensitive to light. I worked in a pharmacy at the time and the LED lights were quite sensitive, but nothing that would cause any, any great concern or give us any signs that I was, you know, building up to this episode. Colleagues have been good at trying to understand but you do have to have this sort of rhetoric of this is how I'm going to explain it in the most simplest way without feeling like I want you to treat me any differently to how you would a normal colleague. It's been really strange to go into a job and not just introduce yourself as Zoe as a psychology graduate, you kind of now come along with these extra things that you have to inform people of so yeah I'm Zoe and I had a stroke six years ago, which means I now need X, Y, and Z in order to be able to do this role, which was difficult at first. I've become part of a group that I never thought I'd end up part of. I never wanted to join, but now it's just, it's just become part of who I am and I've learnt to live with it really.
1: Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. A hemiplegic migraine is a rare and serious type of migraine headache and they carry a number of symptoms that are also common to stroke. For example, muscle weakness can be so extreme that it causes a temporary paralysis on one side of your body. Other symptoms include severe throbbing pain on one side of your head, loss of balance, dizziness and vomiting. In this episode, we'll hear from Zoe Ruscoe from Manchester who suffered a stroke at the age of 21.
0: So I was at university at the time, completing my undergraduate degree at psychology. I was doing psychology at the time. I was just at the at the point of handing in my dissertation, so it was crunch time. I was sort of in the kitchen of the student accommodation that I was at at the time, and I couldn't feel my left arm. You know, my face went, I couldn't really think clearly. So I, I said to my friend, I think I'm having a stroke. And they started laughing at me and said, oh, don't be silly. I said, no, I really think I'm having a stroke. So we rang 111 and they said, just go straight to hospital. So she took me there. So I went to Preston Hospital because that's where I was studying at the time. And they kept me in because I was very upset. I was scared to go to sleep that night. I didn't want them to send me home. So they said, look, we'll just keep you in and we'll, we'll scan you just as a precaution. Because I actually was feeling better. It kind of came on all of a sudden and then it started to recover and I was getting my feeling back. So it's all very confusing. It wasn't something that came and stayed it it came and it went so it was very weird so they kept me in they scanned me as a precaution and then it came to around Christmas time and I hadn't heard anything so sort of felt okay in myself was getting the odd headaches and feeling a little bit off balance but I just thought maybe it's the stress from university Christmas time did my usual Christmas shopping I didn't have a basket and I was carrying my cards and wrapping paper and stuff like that and suddenly my left side just went again and I, and I dropped everything that I had in my hands. My speech was slurred. Unfortunately, because of my age possibly, people thought I was drunk and was stepping over me. I couldn't get myself up. I couldn't pick up my belongings. So eventually I managed to, to climb up and, and get back to my car. And I was just in, in a state of panic really. It was then in the January that my scan results came back and it was confirmed that I had an arteriovenous malformation in the brain, which was causing my difficulties. It was the year after I accessed radiosurgery treatment at Sheffield in order to treat the arteriovenous malformation. And unfortunately, I suffered permanent left-sided weakness as a result of this treatment it's a bit of a grey area about how it's happened I, th- I think there's, there's one theory is that the AVM had bled a couple of times and there's another theory that actually the, the radiation may have actually damaged surrounding areas around the AVM as well which has caused further permanent difficulties so the sh- I guess the stroke condition was confirmed a couple of years after I started having symptoms really is a Diagnosis. I now suffer from left sided permanent disability from that. And I'm just about recovering from a neurological point of view with fatigue management and confusion. Spatial awareness is quite difficult sometimes. My walking, I've used electric stimulation to help me with my walking and, and get my foot drop to a better walking pattern. But it's taken a very, very long time to get where I am, really. It was put down to sort of a hemiplegic migraine for a little while thought because I would get a headache and then my left side would s- slowly start to feel numb and tingling so my face would go first and then my arm and then my leg and I wouldn't be able to do anything for, for a good couple of hours I'd just kind of sit there and just until it passed and then my, my feeling would come back again so they felt like it was maybe a haemoplegic migraine What we now know was that it was the AVM putting pressure on my blood supply and was stopping sort of the blood supply getting to my left-hand side to the point where it actually eventually ruptured. I had glasses because sometimes I was quite sensitive to light. I worked in a pharmacy at the time and the LED lights were quite sensitive, but nothing that would cause any, any great concern or give us any signs that I was, you know, building up to this episode.
1: After her stroke... Zoe was only offered a small amount of support.
0: I received a short-term physiotherapy. I received some psychological support a little while after my surgery. But from a physical point of view, they tried their best with the system that we've got in the NHS and then they sort of said that I'd reached a plateau. So I was discharged. I was given a programme that was sort of Pilates and yoga-based and I ended up seeking private physiotherapy because i just didn't want to give up i just wasn't in the right headspace to just give up i just wanted to keep going myself and i knew that i could push it further just because people tell you that you've that you've hit a plateau and that you can't get better or get any function back doesn't stop you've been determined to want to carry on yourself i guess i'm getting to an age now where i want to plan a family and i want to kind of get on with my life and i've learned to accept that there's just some things that I need to uh, in order to do that. So I have a car that's adapted to help me drive it one-handed. I have adjustments in the house. I have a, lots of electronic gadgets that I attach to myself daily in order to be able to move my left side. I have a great career in mental health in the NHS and I'm able to do therapy remotely. I work within a really good organisation that helps me adjust to my needs now so now I can see a life after stroke I've definitely become more accepting of it it's been one hell of a journey the stubborn part of me didn't want the stroke to stop me from achieving my goals so I did my degree in psychology I then put myself on a master's thinking that I would recover really quickly and that my my difficulties would heal in hindsight that probably wasn't the best idea but I did complete it I did manage to do my health psychology degree with lots of hospital admissions, and then it's been a long road to sort of talk to organizations to help me reintegrate back into work. It was a phased return. I have to have my own laptop and technology software in order to type one-handed. It's been really strange to go into a job and not just introduce yourself as Zoe as a psychology graduate. You kind of now come along with these extra things that you have to inform people of. So Yeah, I'm Zoe and I had a stroke six years ago, which means I now need X, Y and Z in order to be able to do this role, which was difficult at first. I've become part of a group that I never thought I'd end up part of. I never wanted to join. But now it's just it's just become part of who I am and I've learned to live with it, really. Just little things like holding a door open for you or carrying things for you or You want to be able to offer people a brew in the office, but I can only carry one at a time. Being able to tie my shoelaces, put my hair in a bobble. It's just the little things that you know because you live with it daily, but people that only see you for a couple of hours of the day, they can overlook it sometimes, especially when you're quite young. You think, well, you look well, so, you know, you you should be able to cope. Being in a large, busy office has been quite difficult because... I find it difficult to switch my attention to what I'm actually trying to concentrate on the computer and then people are talking around me and not everyone really understands why that's difficult for someone with a brain injury to try and split your attention. If someone distracts you and takes your attention away from the computer, I then find it really difficult to then concentrate on what I was actually trying to do. Colleagues have been good at trying to understand. But you do have to have this sort of rhetoric of this is how I'm going to explain it in the most simplest way without feeling like I want you to treat me any differently to how you would a normal colleague.
1: Coming up, Zoe on becoming a diversity lead at her organisation.
0: I could make sure that our service was accessible to people with disabilities, visible or invisible, so, I made sure that we did a we did a virtual tour of our waiting rooms, and people can have a look around before they, they see us. I've got a here's who the staff are notice board in the waiting rooms, and people could see our faces before they met us. I'm um, now a trustee for a disability charity,
1: and Zoe's advice for the loved ones of stroke survivors:
0: We're not very good at telling you that we need help. We want to do it ourselves. Let us struggle for a bit because. We will find a way around it, but also it's a really fine line between asking for help and, do you know what, please just do it for us.
1: <laughs> Let's hear about the emotional impact of Zoe's stroke.
0: I suffered from post-traumatic stress following my treatment at Sheffield. They put a metal cage on your head in order to fix the muscles, then your head can't move once you are going into the machine, and that was incredibly distressing for me. I woke up quite distressed as well because there's sort of blood at the at the sites of entry. So I would have panic attacks in the night. I was having nightmares, still thinking that I was back at the hospital. Whenever I left the house, I'd be thinking about the time where I fell over at Christmas time and just fears of that happening again, really. So eventually I, I accessed a neuropsychologist and we did cognitive behavioural therapy. And I also had private EMDR, which I found really, really helpful. I accessed that for about six to 12 months before I felt like I was accepting this was a new version of me now and I could still do what I wanted to do, but I'm just going to need a little bit more help. I initially really struggled with the label of having a disability because I felt like everywhere I went it was really obvious. I felt like I had blue flashing lights on me just even to the point of using a disability badge to park up, my rational brain told me I need to use this badge because I need I need to go into that shop. But the self-conscious awareness was stopping me from using it because whenever I put my badge in the window, I had on one occasion someone bang on my car and say, this is for disabled people only. And then my heart would start racing then and I'd feel like a fraud because my disability wasn't that obvious. So I took a lot of that stuff to therapy and I still keep those experiences in mind now. From a professional point of view, I became an inclusion sort of a diversity lead in work. So then I could make sure that our service was accessible to people with disabilities, visible or invisible. So made sure that we did a we did a virtual tour of our waiting rooms and people can have a look around before they they see us. I've got a here's who the staff are notice board in the waiting room so people could see our faces before they met us. I'm now a trustee for a disability charity and I help with people filling out, sort of overseeing people that have gone through the disability benefits process and the appeal claims for so people don't get what they need. I'm also been overseeing a project to make the filed course more accessible. Set people like myself, we research everywhere that we go in order to make sure that we can go on the beach or we can go in certain cafes or there's going to be toilets that we can access. So I'm really passionate about making sure that leisure and tourism is accessible to all that, that want to access it and mental health services are as well.
1: In her stroke recovery, Zoe's also taken advantage of new technology.
0: I had the functional electric stimulation on my leg so it's like a cuff that goes around the knee part of your leg and it's really clever because when you bend your knee it activates a sort of an electric shock response which lifts your foot up whilst you walk so every time I take a step of my left leg it will trigger lifting my foot up for me to stop it from dropping That helped prevent some trips and some falls I've also invested in one for my hand because I'm quite determined to get some function back in my left hand that was about 450 pounds But then you have to sort of pay for the electric pads to go alongside it. You have to sort of renew them every so often because you use the pads to conduct the electricity and they can be quite expensive. I've pretty much paid for everything that I have. I have walking splints that I use. I have an AFO. I got that through the NHS, actually, the AFO splint. And so that's a hard version of the electric one that's difficult to wear because you have to wear shoes that are one size too big for you in order to fit the metal plate into your shoe but it is quite effective in helping you pick your foot up properly and correct your walking gait because I was getting lots of back problems not being able to walk properly and my toes I've also got spasticity as well as my hands so my toes can sometimes catch on the floor so I have to have that on all the time or that's when I end up falling My advice to a stroke survivor is listen to your body, you know it's best if you know I am a health professional so I guess I do try and empower patients to take some responsibility some ownership for their own health needs and and empower them to speak up for what they want and what they need so I guess I would say that to stroke survivors is just not to give up if you hear from one person that you've hit a brick wall and that there's nowhere else to progress find someone else do some research there will be people out there that have pushed that boundary and have been able to do more so don't give up hope my advice for family you're going to get a new responsibility that you didn't sign up for if you have a partner like I had a partner at the time he's not just my boyfriend anymore he's my carer I'm a dependent. Be patient. We're not very good at telling you that we need help. We want to do it ourselves. Let us struggle for a bit because we will find a way around it but also it's a really fine line between asking for help and do you know what please just do it for us.
1: Zoe has worked hard over a number of years to overcome the emotional and physical difficulties encountered because of her stroke, and she's now working to make her workplace more accessible for those with disabilities. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I remember waking up in the hospital, and I was just well in my arms, like, I want to go home, I want to go home. When I finally, I guess, became conscious to realize what was going on, I had no movement of my left side, I couldn't even feel it. And I had developed a thing called left side neglect where I forgot my left side existed. My face drooped on the left side. I slobbed a lot. My speech was null and void. It was slurred really, really bad. You can barely understand me. I had a little bit of aphasia. Thank you for subscribing to Stroke Stories and please do continue to rate, comment, and share the episodes that you like to help us spread the word. And if you are, or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please do get in touch via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.